Good morning. morning. You guys, it's going to be a really good morning. We have baptisms this morning. There is so much to celebrate. There are so many good things happening this morning. And if you're new with us this morning, we want to give you a special welcome. And to fill you in a little bit, we have been going through a series through the book of Mark since last October, which I'm pretty sure that has outlasted winter. There are a few laughs about that. That's, we all feel differently, and that's all right. And we're going to continue that series this morning. Um, and so um, why would we spend so much time on one book of the Bible? Like, why would we do that? The Bible's massive. Like, you've seen it. There's so much to choose from. But we've actually done this for a couple reasons. And the first is that as a Christian community, we believe that Scripture carries the authority to teach and guide us in the way that we live out our lives as followers of Jesus. And we are faithfully committed to Scripture, which is the Word of God. But secondly, we've chosen the book of Mark because it clearly presents the person and work and teachings of Jesus. And as Christians, Jesus is our king, but he's a different kind of king. And if we are on mission with him as his followers, we're called to live a different kind of life. And the book of Mark helps frame that life up for us. And so this morning, we're going to dig into this whole concept of a different kind of kingdom that offers us a different kind of life. But as I was working on this sermon this week, um, I had this memory that came to my mind about the first time that I experienced somebody who was living this different kind of life. And it was back when I was in high school and I was working at The Gap. I'm trying to decide if I should sit on this chair or stand next to this chair. We'll see. Maybe we'll make moves. It's all right. Um, so I was working at The Gap. And I was on the closing shift one night, and my, my legs were killing me. I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to move on. And um, the second the doors were locked and the music was off, I headed straight to my group. So how you do closing is everyone gets broken up into different teams for different sections of the store. And I went over to my team. We are on the women's section. And there was this older woman who was on my team. You know what? She probably wasn't old. You know how high schoolers think she was probably like 30. So there's probably this like young, thriving 30-year-old woman on my team. And as we were talking about the closing duties, um, she looked at me and she said, hey, like what part of the job do you like the least? And I thought she was just like casually making conversation about closing. And I busted out. I was like, oh my gosh, the denim wall. Everyone hates the denim wall. It's literally the worst. You guys. Fold the jeans. Just fold the jeans and put them back in the wall. It's not too much to ask, okay? <laughs> and she looks at me and she says, okay, I'll take the denim wall. And I immediately felt guilty. Like I had accidentally set her up to take the worst part of the job. And so I responded. I was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, we could do it together. Like, we could, we'll talk through it. We'll have fun. Like, it's no big deal, and she insisted. She insisted on taking the worst part of the job, so I didn't have to do it. And I went home that night, and I was still thinking about what had happened, because I had experienced the love of Jesus through a simple act of someone taking the worst job. And after that day, every time a schedule came out, I would look to see if she was on my team for closing, not because I could dodge the denim wall, that was just a perk, but because her character was different. 
And I wanted her on my team every chance I got. The kingdom of God looks different than what we often expect. And it looks very different from what we see in the world. And we're going to look more into that today in Mark 9, 30 through 37. It's going to teach us a little bit about this different kind of kingdom and this different kinds of life. So we're reading in Mark 9, 30 through 37. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, the son of man is going, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they didn't understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Now, before we can really begin to grasp who we're called to be, we must first understand where we're coming from. The kingdom that Jesus proclaims is different than anything else in the world. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. And as we can see, immediately Jesus says, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and a servant of all. The way Donald Craybill frames this up, he says, kingdom action takes place in the world in the middle of a societal ballpark, but it's a different game. Kingdom players follow special rules and heed another coach. Kingdom values challenge the taken-for-granted social ruts and sometimes run against the dominant cultural grain. The upside-down kingdom is in contrast to the world we see out in front of us, it's where instead of hate, there is love. Instead of punishment, there is forgiveness and grace. The upside-down kingdom is where every thought and decision stems from the love of God. And in it, there's a different kind of leadership. We see Jesus investing in his disciples. He had set aside time from preaching and teaching in order to teach just the disciples. And now Jesus had become pretty popular at this time. Like people would flock to see him. Keeping it a secret where Jesus was became really difficult. People wanted to be around him. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to see him. They wanted to touch him. They wanted to be healed by him. And so any time alone was almost impossible to find. But this is where we see a different kind of king. It's a king who wants to deeply invest in the lives of his people. Now most kings or rulers or political leaders that we've seen in the world today, like they're focused on bettering the place that they're in charge of at the cost of others. Or they use people as a means to gain popularity to further their campaign or win votes or likes. And that's why we've become so suspicious of anyone who wants to move into a role of authority or power. And we immediately ask, what is their agenda that they are trying to push on me? But at the height of Jesus' career, he does the opposite. He takes time away to develop the character of those who are closest to him 
And he's so patient. He's telling them some of the same things over and over again. There are three moments in the gospel where Jesus very clearly lays out his plan, and this is actually the second time that he does that, explain to the disciples exactly what's going to happen to him. And he's not out there like, building his own brand. He's not out there like hustling WWJD bracelets, like who wants one, come and buy one. Like that's not his motive. His motive is people. He's intent on developing our character. As followers of Jesus, we are on a lifelong journey of learning and developing our character. And the most encouraging part is we never arrive. The day that you begin to feel like God has nothing left for you or the day that you feel like you've read enough of the Bible and you've got this church thing all figured out or the day that you feel like you've out-sinned God's grace is actually the day that your faith begins to die. Philippians 1, verse 6 and 7 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out until the day of Christ. It is God's promise to you and to me that every second of our lives, he will be molding and shaping who we are as people to be more like Jesus until we see him face to face. That's a different kind of leader. And he has a different kind of mission. He says, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. And this is what the disciples were expecting. Like they thought Jesus had come to rule and reign by overthrowing the government and implementing a whole new system. And as Jesus openly shares about what's gonna happen to him, he's just revealing his character. A king different from the others. One driven by sacrificial love. Jesus' sharp and direct statement about the future was meant to give the disciples the keys to the kingdom by giving them a heads up on what was actually going to happen so that they could be ready. Like he was preparing them to go through some really difficult times ahead. Now, a couple weeks ago, we had a women's conference, which was amazing, and I'm not just saying that because I was in charge of it, but that helps a little bit. Um, And we flew out a speaker named Melanie. And Melanie came in and she shared her story of unexpected pain and loss. And as she shared, she talked about how as followers of Jesus, we aren't called to avoid pain. We're not called to avoid pain in life, but we are called to walk through it, hand in hand with Jesus, who is our hope. We have a king who wants to meet us in our pain and bring us joy and hope no matter what we're facing. This is the upside down kingdom. And in this kingdom, it brings slow but deep change to our hearts. But that's not how we like to see change, is it? Like we wanna see impact. We wanna see change now. Like come on, I don't wanna wait for this. I wanna see immediate results. The disciples wanted Jesus to bring change to their social system right now. They were ready for change out there, but they weren't ready for change in here. But Jesus was bringing change in a way that they didn't see coming. And we feel so similar, don't we? Like we want immediate change in our lives. We want to snap our fingers and have everything the way that we want it to be. 
but Jesus brings slow change that takes deep root in us. Before I had kids, I always used to say, like, I can raise kids no problem. It's birthing kids that I can't do. Like, I do not want to do that. You guys, I was blissfully unaware. Giving birth is not an easy time. Raising kids is very, very difficult. My lovely and wonderful children have been used by God to very slowly develop my patience and my gentleness and my kindness and how I respond when I'm angry. Same thing with my marriage. My husband and I celebrated 11 years of marriage yesterday. Thanks. And God's been using him to develop who I am. And now we often ask God, God, change my kids, make them listen to me. God, change my husband. I have never prayed that. God, change my husband. Make my marriage better. That's the mistake the disciples made. They wanted Jesus to change the world, but really Jesus came to change them. So what do we do when we don't understand? There are often times that Jesus is doing work in us and around us that we just simply don't get. And even after all the time that the disciples spent with Jesus, they were afraid to ask him what he meant. And now they had just been arguing over who was the greatest, and so maybe they just were afraid of looking stupid. But what do you think it is that we're afraid of? What is it that actually keeps us from hearing Jesus? I think that a quick response is typically like, well, I'm just busy. Like, I, I, I would love to hear from Jesus. I would love to experience Jesus. But I just have this really busy, fast-paced life. But I think that busyness is actually a symptom of something that's going on deeper, deeper within us. Because if we stopped and we listened to Jesus, I think that we're afraid of what he might ask of us. I think we're afraid of what he might ask us to give up. I think that we're afraid that God might want to do some work on some pain that we've experienced in the past that we have worked very hard at stuffing away and haven't looked back at. Maybe it's just simply pride. Sometimes we just think we have it all figured out, don't we? Or if we can just keep moving forward, if I just keep, I know what I want, I know where I'm going, and if I just keep moving forward, nothing else matters and God doesn't have to work on anything else going on in my life. But there's power in curiosity. If we, instead of sitting back quietly like we see the disciples do, if we get curious and ask some questions like we see Jesus do, it can unlock some things for us. And I know Rachel and Brian just talked about this, but we offer this course, Emotionally Focused, and it is life-changing. It truly gives you the tools to sit down with Jesus and ask hard questions, to let Jesus speak over the things that have happened in your life and bring you healing and bring you freedom. And these tools are tools you can use the rest of your life because Jesus wants to work in all of us, but we have to get curious. And it's within this kingdom that we're offered a different kind of life. And in this life, it's a life of being teachable. 
So Jesus sits down with the disciples, and he calls a family meeting. Every time when I was a kid, my parents would call a family meeting. I was like, no, this is going to be serious. It's the worst. But this is how Jesus is addressing their character. He's going deeper than what's on the surface. And he gently asks a question, full of grace. He brings himself into their conflict. He leans in. He's knocking on the door of their character, asking if he can come in and do some remodeling. Now, there is something really important here. Conflict is not something that we need to pretend does not exist if we are Christians. That does not honor God, and truthfully, it makes following Jesus look kind of bad. We should be known as people who clean up our messes, who don't shy away from the hard stuff. But you know what? It takes a serious dose of humility, and that is part of this different kind of life. It's a life of humility. Humility is vital in developing our Christ-like character. This is a key piece of what it means to have a different kind of life. And as Jesus is asking his question, he already knows the answer. Verse 34 says they were arguing over who was the greatest. His response to what kind of seems like their silence and dodged eye contact, we've all been in those situations, was the first shall be last and the last shall be first and the servant of all. Now here's where in my prepping of this message that I got actually kind of stuck. So I've been lucky enough to follow Jesus for most of my life and I've probably read these verses like a million times. Or like growing up, you know, like your parents will sometimes use it. No, we don't do this. We use a verse to like try to teach you to do something better. Like, step the first shall be last, don't forget. But I was thinking about this, I'm like, this sermon is going to be lame. Don't chase after fame and wealth. Don't just care about getting the office with the view. Don't step on people on the way up the ladder. Like, people know that, right? Like, people just know that. And, and yes, it's still typically, like, it can happen. But you don't even have to follow Jesus to know not to do that. And then this whole thing about servanthood, like servant leadership, like, Pick up a piece of trash if you see it laying on the road, if it's in your yard. My neighbor's beer cans, you guys. God is testing me. They are rolling down the hill. I've picked up so many. But like pick up a piece of the trash or like do something without being asked or told to do it. Like this just feels like try harder Christianity to me. But then I paused and I asked myself, if I had been one of the disciples, and I had been on the road, where would I have been in the story? And so I literally pictured this. So the disciples are all, you know, walking in like a clump, and like Jesus might be up front having a one-on-one -on -one combo with somebody else. And like one of the disciples goes, hey, see what I did back there? Cast out some serious demons. And then the other guy's probably like, that was nothing. Did you see what I did? I healed that person. That was amazing. And like this little look at what I did kind of started to become this bigger conflict about who was the greatest. And now I, I pictured this and I, I thought, where would I be? And I knew that I would be close enough to the conversation to hear what was going on because I'm nosy. But I wouldn't have thrown myself in as the greatest. It's not because I'm humble. 
It's because sometimes I struggle to see myself as worthy, which is just a false sense of humility. See, the answer isn't to think poorly of ourselves, and the answer isn't to try harder to do, oh my goodness, the answer isn't to try harder to do the right thing so that people think that we're great. The different life we get to live is one where our heart and our motives are in direct connection with Jesus, guiding our choices. And I'm sure you've heard this quote, um, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Like we need God to let, we need to let God work in us so that we think of ourselves less often. And we do that by sitting in his presence and allowing him to ask us hard questions, by letting him speak truth about who he created us to be and letting that truth take root in our hearts. Greatness in the kingdom is an act of sacrificial love that allows us to show up in a space confident of who we are as children of God and able to do anything with the heart of Christ. The character that Jesus wants to build in us is where we are responsive to him and receiving from him, living in the fullness of who he created us to be, where we are so focused on him and what he is doing that we just think of ourselves less. And that's the difference that I saw in that wonderful young lady that I worked with at The Gap. Like she didn't try to force herself to take the gene wall because it was the right thing to do. And she didn't see herself as unworthy to do any other job above the gene wall. Her character had been transformed by Jesus allowing her to authentically serve. And that's the next part. It's a life of service. Serving others is real leadership. And that's exactly what we see in Jesus as he talks about the passion statement. God lowered himself out of his sacrificial love for us. And now it's not bad. It's not a bad thing to want to have a successful career or to work hard to get promoted. Like those are good things in and of themselves. But how are we allowing God to continually work on our character so that it is aligning with his definition of greatness. And then lastly, a different kind of kingdom and a different kind of life offer us a different kind of community. And in this community, we're all set free. In verse 36, it says, He took a little child whom he placed among them, Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Children at this time were hardly seen as human beings. And Jesus uses this child to confront the disciples' thinking. The way you treat them is the way that you treat me. Like, children are not adults. Children are not considered the most important part of any society. I mean, think about it. When you first meet someone, you typically ask them, what do you do? Like, what do you do for a living? Usefulness and productivity are how we recognize and define one another. Every family, every community has people in it that seem unuseful. Like, what if Jesus is on to something? The way we treat the unuseful really does matter. 
the way you treat a toddler who is having endless tantrums. It's at my house. The way you treat the person that cut you off as you were driving to work. The way you treat the homeless person that sits out by Target. The way you treat the employee that seems to never get their work done. What if the way we treat them actually changes the way we experience God's love and grace, which leads to freedom? There's a quote by Andy Crouch that says, if the unuseful among us are seen, known, welcomed, and given places of honor in our households and communities, then all of us are set free from our usefulness. All of us are set free to experience the love that God offers. And now, I don't have this in my notes, but I w- after the first service, I kind of sat back and I thought about, like, what does it actually mean to welcome someone? Like, if Jesus is saying we need to welcome them, it's not just about how we treat them. Like, we've all been in a space before, right, where you, you feel like you're being tolerated, but what does it mean to actually be welcomed? And so I, I sat and I thought about this, and there... When I was in high school, I went to youth group in a different way that was actually just through small groups. And there was a couple, and their their names were Bill and Gail. And every single Sunday night, it was the highlight of my week, I would be welcomed into Bill and Gail's house. They would be excited to see me. They would give me hugs. They would ask me how my week was going. And then we would do a little Bible study. And it was with a couple other students. And as I showed up authentically, which is where I was at in my life, and Bill and Gail welcomed me in, I developed my own faith in Jesus. Because as I was welcomed in, I was watching other people who were out in front of me living out their life with Jesus. And Bill and Gail actually are celebrating 35 years of doing this. 35 years. They have simply welcomed students into their house and they've probably seen 350 to 400 students and I'm lucky and honored to be one of them. And so I think that welcoming people isn't just about how we treat them because that feels a little bit like that try harder Christianity if we're not careful. Welcoming people is is something deeper within us. It's something where we are intentional about relationship, where we see someone and where they're at in life And we come alongside them. And that is the community that we want to be. We want to be a community that is investing in the lives of other people. And as we are on this lifelong journey of following Jesus, we are bringing people along with us. And sometimes those people are going to be older than us. And sometimes those people are going to be younger than us. But how we do it matters. Because how we welcome them is how we welcome Jesus. And so now that I have wandered off, We're going to do that. As a a community right now, we are going to welcome people into our family through baptism. And so if you are getting baptized this morning, I would love to welcome you up. Come on up to the front. Don't be shy. It took a couple minutes last time. People are like, I think this is me. I think this is my time. I think I got to go. So we are really excited to celebrate with a number of people. We even had a spontaneous baptism at the last service, which I am all about. Love that. 
And so as everyone's heading up this morning, I would actually like to read a piece of Romans 6 for you, which really describes so powerfully how, like what is happening as we do baptisms. So Romans 6, verse 3 through 6 and 10, 11, here's what it says. When we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we also are raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. And we are no longer slaves to sin. When Jesus died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. We are moving from being dead to becoming alive. From an old life to a new life. From slavery to freedom. From isolation to unity and identification with God. Christ. So when we do baptisms, we have these lovely folks up here. Yay! You guys, I'm so excited. Are you excited? How are you feeling? Yeah, yeah okay. Nervous laugh. I love it. Um, so when we do the baptisms, we ask these ancient questions. They, are, they are, have been done in variations and asked to millions of people over 2,000 years. And so I'm going to ask you guys a question, Okay. There. Ready? Are you ready? I'm going to ask you a question. And you're going to say, I do. Okay? You can practice. You can practice. Should we practice? Do a practice one? Ready? Say, I do. I do. All right. And you can yell it as loud as you want. Sound? No. He's, mm. All right. Question one. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord and King, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life and grace? If so, answer, I do. I do. Nice. Do you renounce Satan and all his work and all his ways? If so, answer, I do. I do. Great job. Do you confess your need for the forgiveness of sins and with a humble heart put your hope in God's mercy and your whole trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior? If so, say, I do. And with his help, do you seek to follow him, become more like him, until you see him face to face? If so, say, with all my heart, I do. I do. Close up. All right, will you guys join me as we pray for them? Jesus, thank you for the gift of living a free life with you. And thank you for the work that you've done in all of these lives in front of us right now. And so would you bless the work you're doing and would you multiply it? Would you show us how we can come alongside them as their community, as their family, and love and champion them towards you? Thank you, Jesus, for your work and your goodness in our lives. Amen. All right, so if you're getting baptized this morning, you can head over to Michelle. And you guys can all stand up. This is a big celebration. We love baptisms mor baptism mornings. Um, when we do the baptism, there will be worship happening. And you can sing along. And when they go under and come back up, we love to cheer for them because it is a big deal and we are happy to celebrate. So we'll continue worshiping. And 
If this morning you find yourself like stirring or you're like, I've been thinking about baptism and I just, I'm too unsure about doing it or if that's something like God's been like pressing on your heart a little bit, we have clothes and we have towels. Like if today is the day, we would love to help you take that next step in your walk with Jesus. All right, let's do some baptisms.